More than three months after the COVID-19 pandemic effectively shut down the United States, scientists are still trying to answer questions about who, how, and why it hurt different people in different ways. From men and women to dogs and cats, a growing body of research is shedding light on who exactly is the most at risk and what we can do to protect our families down to its furriest members. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story is about the latest research suggesting men are at higher risk of not recovering from COVID-19 than women. Providing the strongest evidence yet that sex is a risk factor, scientists reveal a stark coronavirus gender gap with four theories on why males are more than twice as likely to die from the disease. Our second story looks at the animals most susceptible to catching coronavirus. As more of them become infected, a research team that studied the risks for cats and dogs determined which pets are most at risk and what you should do to make sure they stay safe. This is The Abstract, a look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories. Up now, the COVID-19 gender gap and why men are getting hit harder than women. Case reports spanning different countries are showing more and more a stark coronavirus gender gap. New research helps to explain why. A study published May 2020 in the journal Frontiers of Public Health found that men are more than twice as likely to die from the novel coronavirus. They're also more likely to experience a more severe course of the disease than women. Dr. Deborah Burks, U.S. Special Representative for Global Health Diplomacy, explains how the trend has surged abroad and why the U.S. should be concerned. From Italy, we're seeing a ver- another concerning trend that the mortality in males seems to be twice in every age group of females. This should alert all of us to continue our vigilance to protect our Americans that are in nursing homes. Furthermore, evidence shows that being male is a risk factor for death from COVID-19 regardless of age. Dr. Gregory Polland has more from the Mayo Clinic. Some data published by CDC shows that there's worse severity of this disease in young male children versus female. We see that same trend in prepubertal gender differences, and we see the same trend in postmenopausal trends. And in all those studies, women have superior immune responses to men. In early January 2020, the study's authors noticed that when treating patients with COVID-19 in Beijing, more men appear to be dying from the disease than women. This raised a question, are men more susceptible to getting or dying from COVID-19? In the large data set, over 70% of the patients who died were men, meaning that men had almost 2.5 times the death rate of women. But what is it about being male that puts someone at risk? Assessing various lifestyle, biological, and hormonal factors, scientists have zeroed in on some possible explanations. Joining us now with more on this is Inverse's Ali Patilla. Welcome back, Ali. Hi, Tanya. So after noticing this initial gender gap in Beijing, researchers set out to get to the bottom of why more men are being hit from the disease than women. How did the study pan out from there? How did they analyze patients to confirm this? Yeah, so this team of physicians um, and a lot of physicians around the world were noticing kind of a gender imbalance with the patients they were seeing. They were noticing men were 
getting more sick with the disease were more likely to die from the disease, but they didn't have the data to support that. So this was the first published study to break down the sex differences of infected COVID-19 patients. The physicians in Beijing looked at 43 patients that they treated directly, and they looked at a data set of 1,056 COVID-19 patients. They looked at severity. They looked at a bunch of different factors, if, if these patients were likely to die, and then they figured out if they were male or female. Right. And so, you know, as we've been hearing throughout, there are various factors at play with COVID-19, one of them being lifestyle factors. How heavily would a different lifestyle play a role? in how this affects men. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we know lifestyle factors shape our health, right? Physical activity, what we eat, whether we smoke, whether we drink, all of these things combine to make up our health. Um, and when these first trends emerged, a lot of physicians and researchers suspected it might be because of smoking, because men are more likely to smoke than women. And, and they were seeing these high rates of men getting sicker. But then when they compared, there were certain places where that wasn't the case, where men and women were equally likely to smoke. So that didn't explain the differences. So then that made them think there were other factors at play. But more so at play than these um, lifestyle choices is obviously pre-existing conditions, coexisting conditions. Is it possible men have more or certain combinations of these pre-existing conditions that lend themselves to worse outcomes? Yes, that's absolutely possible. Um, you know, comorbidities we've seen in a lot of the COVID-19 data are likely to make the disease more severe. Um, so these are things like diabetes, heart disease, obesity, and they could be contributing to men's poor outcomes. In the data set that these particular physicians analyzed, 65% of both male and female COVID-19 patients had at least one underlying disorder. So whether that's responsible for the actual gender breakdown isn't totally clear right now. But what is clear is that comorbidities are making people sicker. There's also talk that there could be some hormonal factors at play. Men and women obviously differ fundamentally in, in their hormonal breakdown. Are there any theories as to what might be happening there in terms of the, the virus? Yeah, this is something that was so fascinating to me. They're not totally sure yet, but they think that estrogen may be involved because some data suggests estrogen can inhibit the expression of these things called ACE2 receptors, which basically keep the virus from reproducing. Um, so in certain hospitals, some doctors have started even testing estrogen and progesterone as possible treatments to strengthen men's immune response to COVID-19. And I don't think we know, it's way too early to say whether that's successful, but it is it is promising. And these, these things, we, you know, we don't know how they're going to pan out. You know, one of the things that's so crazy about this virus is that so many people can be asymptomatic. And they're saying that a large part of that has to do with someone's immune system. Is it possible that women have a stronger immune system for this particular virus for whatever reason? That's another factor that the researchers raised. I think, again, we just don't know enough. But there is data to suggest that there are fundamental immune system differences in men and women, generally speaking. Um, so some of the research shows that generally women actually mount greater inflammatory, antiviral, humoral immune responses than men do, which in theory could help them clear COVID-19 faster. But in this latest study, men, it seems like we're pumping out immune cells at different rates than women. And we just don't know kind of how that shakes out and how that might be affecting the severity of the disease. 
So what now? Is there hope that whatever knowledge we do have can provide us with more specific types of treatment down the road? Can we take this and run with it eventually? You know, is that the hope? I think that's absolutely the hope. I mean, as I mentioned, this was the first published study that broke down COVID-19 patients by gender. And I would expect this is the first in a really long series of studies um, exploring this gender gap. And I think that potentially, you know, like all of this research, we're chasing an effective treatment, chasing an, an effective vaccine, and gender may play a factor in how effective those treatments may be. Right. Yeah, there's so much more to figure out. Listeners can head to inverse.com for the latest on all things COVID-19. Uh, in the meantime, Allie, thanks so much. Thanks, Tanya. As more animals contract COVID-19, more pet owners become concerned about their cats and dogs. So how worried do you need to be about your pet becoming infected? The answer may depend on what type of pet you have. That black cat got word, you know, he got a beginning dance. Was that a furball or was it coronavirus? Is that the new question you're asking yourself with regards to your cat? We get it. These are among the fair yet neurotic new questions bubbling to the surface amid the uncertainty of all things COVID-19. It's a virus that doesn't discriminate, and it has proven to take on cats far bigger than the furry bundle of joy purring at your feet. Take Nadia, for example. She developed a dry cough and was tested for COVID out of an abundance of caution. If you hadn't heard, Nadia is a four-year-old Malayan tiger at the Bronx Zoo. The Wildlife Conservation Society, which manages the zoo, tested her after her sister experienced similar symptoms. While it's a story that got a lot of attention in April 2020 for its WTF factor, it reminded us that even though how animals spread the novel coronavirus is still a mystery, we do know that it originated in animals before making the leap to humans. As reported at Inverse, researchers think that COVID-19 originated in bats, but also theorize that a different intermediate animal spread the virus from bats to humans. Carol Baskin, CEO of Big Cat Rescue, a nonprofit animal sanctuary near Tampa, Florida, explains more with some added historical perspective. These are zoonotic diseases that can jump between wild animals and humans. Back in 2004, the bird flu wiped out big cats all around the globe who were eating contaminated chickens and waterfowl that had contracted the disease. But where does this leave our small cats and the rest of our pets? According to an April 2020 study published in the journal Science, various domesticated animals are indeed susceptible to COVID-19, with cats among those with the higher risk. So knowing this, how do we protect our pets along with our family from becoming infected? While the answer may depend on what type of pet you have, here from the Animal Medical Center is Dr. Ann Hohenhaus advising the following. The greatest concern for all of us should be a pet in a household where the COVID-19 virus is infecting some of the human family members. And that's one of the reasons why the recommendation is that if you're infected with COVID-19, you need to separate yourself from your pet and to not interact with any human or 
animal family members because the risk of transmitting that virus even on the fur is quite unknown at this time. Again, there is so much we don't know, so perhaps that's ultimately why experts agree pets probably need to toe the same line as their humans. Stay inside. Let us get more from Inverse's Nina Pulano, who joins us right now. Hey, Nina, how's it going? Hi, Tanya. Doing well. How are you? Good. So in these studies, in order to see which animals are susceptible, how did researchers first go about approaching testing in general? How do they go about testing our pets? Um, you know, what are, what's the procedure like? Sure. Uh, I think just to back it up a little bit, um, it's important to remember the reason that they're doing these studies on animals. Um, in this case, it's about trying to identify a good animal model um, to help researchers learn more about how the virus works in humans and then potentially down the road, um, you know, an animal that can be used to test out a vaccine. Um, And so that also means ruling out which animals the virus does not tend to infect very well. Um, It's part of what they did too, um, because if an animal can't get sick from the virus, they won't be a very good model for a vaccine. Um, So what they did in this study was they administered the virus through the nose for most of the animals. Um, For ferrets, which was one of the animals they tested, they went through the throat. Uh, And then they tested several places on the animal's bodies. They took tissue samples to see basically if the virus was able to reproduce in that animal. And it was interesting to learn the effects of this, how the virus affects animals differently. As far as our pets go, how did this break down? Which pets are more susceptible and and what are we learning about which animals are being exposed and how? Yeah, we're definitely uh, still learning. But of the animals tested here, um, the study results showed that the virus can replicate in ferrets and also in cats, um, and that it does not do a very good job of replicating in dogs, pigs, chickens, and ducks. That doesn't necessarily mean that those animals will get super sick, for example, or that they're able to pass it on. Um, It also doesn't mean that they're necessarily immune. There have been two dogs, for example, that have tested positive for the coronavirus uh, a Pomeranian and a, and a German Shepherd. Both of those were in Hong Kong. So we know that there's some more research to be done. Um, but I think for research purposes, it's really important to know which animals are susceptible. And ferrets might be particularly important here. They're really commonly used as an animal model um, across different respiratory viruses that can infect humans. So in terms of just you know research and going forward, that could be good news um, working toward a vaccine. Yeah, that was a really interesting takeaway. And, you know, the question then becomes how, I mean, do they get it the same way that we do? You know, and I'm assuming this is generally an airborne contamination situation, not unlike the human effect. Right. Yeah. As far as pets getting the virus from humans and that you you mentioned um, the tiger, Nadia the tiger at the Bronx Zoo, she probably got the virus, researchers think, from a human, maybe a zookeeper who was asymptomatic. Obviously, the way that the cats and the ferrets in the lab showed they could get the virus, um, that's not going to mirror what might happen at home. So you're not shooting sure. anything up your cat's nose. That might be a different risk. And and the CDC and, and veterinarians are, are really kind of being hesitant right now. They don't want to say, they don't know yet really what exactly that risk is. So definitely play it safe, but, but we just don't know yet really how big that risk really might be. Right. Because, you know, like you said before, this is, we're still learning. This is all uncharted territory. That's obviously a constant COVID-19 theme here. And the million dollar question we still are trying to figure figure out is, um, you know, how easily we can get this from our pets. So what did you learn about the steps we can take at least to be proactive in protecting our pets? What are the experts settling on 
as far as the best course of action, considering our limited amount of knowledge thus far? Yeah, as far as getting it from our pets for now, I think, you know, what we do know is that pet fur can become what's called a fomite, basically a surface on which the virus can live, which means that it can spread, um, spread that way. So we don't have any evidence yet of a pet actually spreading the virus to a human through droplets or anything like that. Um, but I guess, you know, having a walking surface on an animal that might be curious of all kinds of things in the outside world, um, that definitely presents some kind of a risk. Very good. Uh, Nina has more at inverse.com, but thank you so much for this chat. I think we're all uh, a little concerned about our furry friends here. So (laughs) thanks, Nina. Absolutely. Thanks. Head to Inverse.com to read more about what science is revealing about the spread of COVID-19. You can click on the link in the show notes for all stories we talked about today. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture, and entertainment at inverse.com. Look for The Abstract Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening.